Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Preparis. Not joining me is Brenna Calvert, but I do have another guest on the line, which we'll get to in one minute. This episode is brought to you by Merrill. If you haven't heard, I will be racing World's Toughest Mudder in less than a week at this point as Team Merrill with Wesley Kerr. Uh, Merrill has some great products. I got to try out a couple different pairs of their shoes. So they, uh, they have the All Out Crush, which is the Tough Mudder branded one. A little more cushioning, a little aggressive... Uh, Trail uh, lugs on the bottom, so I like that one. I've been using that one a lot for training. I also got to try out their Vapor Glove, which is like their bare minimalist shoe. So if you like Vibram Five Fingers without your toes looking all weird, you can check out the Vapor Glove. If you want a little more cushioning, uh, Trail Glove, which is my personal favorite. Uh, not much, not a whole lot of support there, but just a little bit and zero drop. And then Bare Access Flex is their other one. A little more cushioning than the Trail Glove, but not quite as much cushioning as the All Out Crush. Uh, I will write a review on them on Mud Run Guide at some point, so keep an eye out for that. Also want to give a shout-out to their um, Micro Light Puffer Jacket. It's like the softest jacket in the world, and it is awesome. So uh, if you're looking to pick up a new jacket for winter, it's pretty it's pretty light, pretty compact, but it's, it's warm, and it's, like I said, it's like the softest thing in the world. Anyway... Let's get to the actual show. So joining me is Miles Keller. Miles. Yeah. What's up, Evan? Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back on. No some, problem. Uh, you know, Evan, some people might be wondering, why in the world is he having Miles, and Keller, Miles Keller back on? I've already been on the show several times. And let me tell everyone out there, I'm having a baby boy in February, and I'm naming him after Mr. Preparis here. <laughs> So if you, too, want to name your child after Evan, you can get on the show as well. <laughs> yes, I will I will put you on the show if you're naming ch- uh, your child after me. That's, that's absolutely true. No, I went around and I asked I've – been, I've been looking around for names, and there's not a lot of unique boys' names. But I've never known an Evan I don't like. Every Evan I've ever known has been like a rock-solid guy, just good all the way around rock-solid guy. And so has that's what everyone else has said when I asked them about the name. So if anyone out there has, has came across an Evan they don't like or they do like a lot, I would love to hear about it. I also co-host the Link Endurance podcast, so you can hit me up there. Make sure you check our episodes out there, but hit me up and let me know because I think uh, Evan Preparis, this gentleman right here uh, on the podcast, Inside OCR, life as a father, husband, all that stuff is an amazing individual. As you all probably know because you listen to this podcast, but it's a good name. Well, th- thank you for the introduction, Miles. I feel like I'm supposed to give you the introduction as the guest, but uh, that that was still nice. My introduction is simply schmuck. <laughs> it's just my, Miles the schmuck Keller. He's meh. <laughs> so me and, me and Miles always have good banter, uh, always love talking about OCR. So there was some recent news that broke. Uh, we're actually recording this slightly before the news actually comes out. So by the time this is actually published, some of you may actually have a tiny bit more information than we do. But uh, on Monday at 10 a.m., Eastern Time, I believe, 
They yes, announced sir. the location for the OCR World Championships and U.S. Championships, which has a slight twist to it. So, Miles, you want to fill us in on the OCR World Championships location? Well, first, let me correct that last statement. It's no longer going to be the U.S. OCR Championships, but the North American OCR Championships instead of the U.S. OCR Championships. It will be taking place in Vermont. And I asked them, said, hey, does that mean – I'm assuming that means Canada is included as well. And sure enough, it is. So unlike this year when people didn't have to worry about uh, Ryan Atkins and Lindsey Webster taking all the medals and money, uh, they, they, they do have to worry about that again in 2018 because they will be there and they will be as awesome as they always are. Yeah, so, well, since, since we're already on the topic, let's just dive right into the North American one and then we'll, we'll circle back around to the world. But – while I under I can I understand that move. It's clearly a good business move, right? Because you're doubling your the number of athletes that can come, essentially. Uh, yeah, see, I kind of like the U.S. one. I liked. I mean, well, all right. I'll just be I'll just be upfront, right? Like the Canadians regularly kick my ass. You know, regardless of the distance, eight hours, twenty four hours. You know, short course. I lose to Canadians fairly often. So I kind of liked losing to just Americans for once. It was uh, it was a nice change. <laughs> Dude, I'm with you. They beat all of us. They beat all of us constantly, and they're such great people. You can't help but hug them afterwards and say, hey, good job for kicking the crap out of me, man. You're incredible. <laughs> yeah, super nice. I mean, Ryan, Lindsay, Allison, Ty, um, you know, Austin Azar, all, all those. I mean, just – Oh, yeah. Josh Stride, Mikhail uh, Geronimo. It goes it goes on and on and on. And But, you know, I'm super excited to talk about this aspect with you. I don't really get a chance to talk about this part on our uh, show, and you don't hear about it on some of the other podcasts, but the the side of it about the monetization, these are businesses, and they have to turn a profit to stay in business so we can continue to do these races. A lot of people don't realize that most races have a hard time turning a profit because of the great amount of overhead. There's so much more that goes on to it on the backside uh, that we don't realize that it makes it hard for some places to turn a profit. I would actually like some future time to have a have one somebody like David Mainprize or someone else uh, who was a CEO of a race series and as hey what are all these other charges and everything that we don't understand about that play into the profitability and so you can continue to uh, run this business right? Yeah, they're uh, they're deceivingly expensive. I know on race day you're like oh well you know. Uh, there's like a thousand people and everyone's paying you know fifty to a hundred dollars. Like you got to be making a killing here, but it, it costs a lot of money. Like you said, it costs a lot of money on the backside. I happen to know some of the numbers for some of the companies. Uh, actually, I, I know a little bit about Conquer the Gauntlet. I'm not going to spread their business all over the you know public here, but it's a lot more than I would have thought uh, goes into the backside. The cost, the initial cost. Yeah, and it man US OCRC had a hard time this year. It wasn't – I'm so glad it was in Texas the first year, and that makes it, makes it easier. There's a, there's a large group of us here in uh, the Texas OCR scene, so that was wonderful. It was close by home. Uh, but this is also right after the flooding in Houston. So, for instance, you know, uh, Adrian Bijanata with OCR World Championships had 65 volunteers, I believe, were not able to make it. They had to cancel – last minute and those were just the volunteers this isn't to mention all the people that wanted to initially come that now couldn't come because flights were all canceled 
It's hard getting in and out of certain sections of Texas. There was a major fuel shortage. Even me and my, the other co-host that uh, host the other Link Endurance podcast with Mo, we we called each other and was like, you know, hey man, do you think you think we can make it back? You think we'll have fuel? If you think we'll be able to find fuel on the way back? And we live here in Texas, and we are sweating it. So I heard that from a lot of other people. And you know, Adrian already brought all the other race brands. All the other race brands had brought their obstacles. They're set up. They're fully invested. They spent tons of money, and now you're going to have a hard time turning a profit of that. So I feel like Texas didn't get a fair shot due to those circumstances. Uh, and, and so there was fewer people there, right? Is that how it seemed to you, Evan? Yeah. I'm, from what I'm tracking, I think they still turned a profit. Um, you know, that being said, you know, I think they rely – OCR World Championships and, and U.S. OCRC, basically, all, you know, Adrian's brands rely a lot on volunteers. And Adrian said that before, so that's not really groundbreaking news. But, you know, I think a lot of people put a lot of extra time in there uh, with – you know, little compensation on their side. So, um, oh yeah, not to mention working. All, there's people still setting up the course up until race day, all throughout the night. You know, having to move things and and fix things and problem solve because of all the different. That's just that's just the business of obstacle course racing, right? Yeah. There's all kinds of these different variables and little things can go wrong. And you know, they do such a good job of making sure they put the safety first of a lot of people. And not to mention hard racing out there out in the middle of nowhere. The Hawaii Ranch is in uh, Mountain Home, Texas, which is 30 minutes down a farm road, and there's zero Internet connection. Uh, yeah, that was out in the middle of nowhere. And like you said, the the gas shortage, it was like Mad Max out there, right? Like, I mean, I was I was driving from gas station to gas station, and it was like, oh, everything is empty. Everything's empty. Everything's empty. Like, I, I, I saw one gas station, and that's where I filled up at. Um Basically, on the in the entire town on my way out there, so yeah, no, that's about right. I mean, it it was still it was still a great race. I thought it was it was interesting though, even though it was what we in Texas consider a hill country. Uh, that whole there's an area right outside of Austin in that area uh, near Mountain Home. It's called Hill Country, and it's very very hilly. Which you look at South and North Texas is very very flat, and I felt like that race was actually very very flat. Um, there wasn't as many hills as I was expecting for uh, for what we call hill country, but I also think that made the the 3K course on Saturday interesting because it was uh, you know the 3K is supposed to be fast and boy was it fast and furious it let all the pros go out full bore everyone no one no one was slacking everyone was going balls of the wall and I think it made that much more interesting uh, maybe it threw some people for a loop because they were expecting the hills right. Yeah, I mean, I liked I liked the fact that it was not hilly. I think, you know, too often in OCR we get caught up. Everything has to be bigger and harder, and you know, everything has to run be run on a mountain. And you know, that's I, well, I think it's awesome to have mountain courses mixed in there. I think it's also awesome to have flat courses. And just like I like courses with super hard obstacles like Conquer the Gauntlet, I also think there's you know there's room for brands like Warrior Dash where you know it's almost impossible to fail something. So. I like yeah. the variation. No, so, I'm right along with you. So, well, let's talk about the the location now for the North American OCR champion OCR championships will be in Vermont. So, uh, some people, a lot of people, probably listen to this show are familiar with Vermont because you have a lot of the Spartan races that happen there in Vermont, 
And that's some tough terrain. Not only is it tough terrain, now we don't know the date yet of when exactly. I'm going to look it up and see if i got updated info on it. Uh, depending on the time of year, it could be freezing cold in Vermont. Uh, have you have you raced up there? What's your take on that? Yeah, so I think it's in – I want to say it's in August, isn't it? Didn't they put out the date uh, before – they put out like a reserve the date on uh, beforehand? I'm sure we should have looked this up beforehand. I'm looking. I'm looking. So anyway, right well, while you're looking that up, so I have raced in Vermont before. I have not raced Killington, although I do – that is kind of one of my bucket list races just because, um, you know, pretty big mountain and, you know, kind of like home to Spartan. And they did the championship there for a couple of years. So I do want to do Killington at some point. But I have raced Shell Hell, um, the permanent obstacle course facility up there. And I've raced it in early – I've raced it in late July, and I've raced it in early August. And the first time I raced it in early August, the weather was, you know, hot during the day. And it was kind of, a you know, cooled at night, but nothing nothing too cold. And when I raced it in, at the end of July this past, uh, you know, a couple months ago – it was actually really cold. Like, it dropped down to, like, 50s in the middle of the night. Um, so wow. I was out there running by myself, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, it's, like, late July. I thought it was going to be, like, 70 at night. Um, but, you know, I, you won't have to worry about going overnight. So it, it'll be warm, I think, is the, the bottom line. Do you find the date? No, no, not yet. I just uh, messaged Adrian see if I can get an updated date. I should have figured that out before we started. But either way, that's a very mountainous region, right? I haven't spent any time in Vermont, but from what I can tell, there'll definitely be some mountains involved. Yeah, I think that's guaranteed. Okay. That's yeah. that's interesting. And then, you know what? Because they're calling it the North American OCR Championships, it's a little closer for the Canadians. It's actually a fantastic spot because it's kind of in the middle between America and Canada, right? Yeah. Okay, here, I found, I found it. It says, save the date, August 10th to the 12th. Uh, 2018 for United States okay. Obstacle Course Racing Championship, which is going to okay, be nice. North America, right? So that's kind of like summertime. Yeah, that's right. Not I mean, too bad. Yeah, it, it'll be fine. It'll be it'll be hot if anything. Um, definitely going to be a mountain course. Uh, again, just speculating here, but I would almost guarantee I, I can guarantee it's not going to be at Shale Hill. It's just the they don't have the volume of the number of lanes for that for that course, right? Like you can't put that many people through. Um, to that course, you know, some of their obstacles are one or two lanes wide, and you know, as we saw at the World Championship this year, the rig was like 16 lanes or something insane, right? Well, well, they historically the OCR World Championship Series has sent out waves in set, uh, you know, say 15, 30 second increments. Sometimes two, uh, I could be wrong. Maybe it was two minute increments. I've raced in it. I don't know why I can't remember. But either way, like, that does kind of make it so that you don't need as many lanes, and they could always kind of expand those existing lanes. And they have historically used, uh, you know, tried to use permanent courses like they did this year at the Wyo Ranch uh, for you for the U.S. OCR championships. They use uh, Green Beret Challenges, permanent course there at the Wyo Ranch. Yeah, the uh, having been to Shell Hill, I can tell you it's just, just the way the course is set up, you're just, it's just not going to – you can't support that many people. Not going to happen? Okay. Yeah, gotcha. it's, just, it's just not going to happen. I mean – Yeah, you ran that course quite a few times, actually. That was part of your you, uh, OCR Across America, if I remember yes. correctly. Yep, that's correct. So. Okay. Very nice. Yeah, oh, so yeah, I mean, I, I wish I'm the best with that. I run it in June, too. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, so I guess we'll find out more about North America OCR championships. But, again, I think if you've been to the U.S., if you've been to the World 1, that's obviously something you want to mark on your calendar right now, right, August 10th through the 12th. I'm so jealous, man. Well, I'm jealous and I'm blessed in one way and then jealous in another way. I'm blessed in the way that I'm having a little baby boy in February. But I will definitely not be able to race in August. Uh, the uh, the wife has put the old kibosh on me traveling for races. Ah, yes. It's, it's going to be very hard getting out and get to as many local races as I can next year. But unfortunately, uh, I'm going to end up having to miss that. It sucks because those those races are special. Yeah. it's uh, I, we, we ended up traveling with my little one a lot fairly soon after she was born but it's uh it definitely complicates things the, oh, the yeah. only the only good thing is you could you know you can bring them on the flight and that's you don't have to pay for an extra ticket so versus yeah at, before two years old they get right. to fly for free two years old but anything after that it is a full price ticket yeah and it gets yeah. expensive buddy and then you got to get their get their passport so actually speaking of passports this next year will be a good one i hope everyone has a passport because here's the breaking news on the OCR World Championships. It is no longer going to be in America. It's going to happen in the U.K. How about that? How does that hit you, Evan? I mean, that's exciting. I think it's awesome. You know, our European friends have been traveling over to, you know, Western Hemisphere for the last four years. And I think it's great that we're having it in the Eastern Hemisphere for once. And they can, you know, some of them can sleep in their beds at night. Some of them can take essentially local flights. They don't have to deal with the huge time zone changes. And, uh, you know, I think it's great. It forces some of uh, some of Americans to, you know, go out and see the other side of the world. So, um, Yeah, that's, re- a be- that's the best way to grow, right? Too many people don't leave their county, don't leave their state, never leave the country. And while I understand what it's like that, you know, for certain people that just never leave their area because that's their comfort zone, you can never grow, man. Once you get to see different countries and peoples and cultures, you can see the world through a different perspective, and it'll change the way you look at everything. And it's so, it's so wonderful to be able to see the world through other people's eyes, and you can, you'll pick things up like, oh, you know, maybe I can do that better if I didn't do that. And it applies to OCR as well. I remember, uh, I believe, OCR World Championships in 2015 when it was in Ohio at King's Domain. Bracken uh, Crocker pointing out to me, he goes, look at that. You see how the South Africans like to use their – they'll put their hands on their knees when they power hike up the hills. I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a good point. I could see why that would help up these extremely steep inclines. You know, and if you didn't, if you didn't know the South Africans before they were at, in Ohio, you would have never known something like that. Uh, it just is cool little things you'll find in different cultures, and uh, it just broadens your horizons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not sure if I'm gonna. I'm not sure. Well, let, let, let's before I, we go there. Do you, so, do you think with it going to the UK, do you think the competition will be higher or lower than it was in the US? Well, I'd say some of the best from the OCR scene in in. In Europe, I was about to say UK, in Europe, because I want to include uh, athletes like Nikolaj Dom, right, from uh, from Denmark. You, uh, you'll you see from Sweden, um, 
Oh my gosh, Kristen. Uh, mine is, I'm having a brain fart. Uh, one of the best women over there will, will podium over at OCR World Championships over here. I think you're seeing some of the best already from the Europe traveling over to America. But you're, oh, like John Hancock and them, you'll see them. And of course, Alvin is always there. But you'll see, uh, you'll definitely see some more. I'm, I'm super interested to see how this works financially for OCR World Championships. Uh, keep in mind, they're going to have to, they're going to have to get, or they will most likely have obstacles from the other races in Europe bring their obstacles over. Just like here in America, we have all the different races from uh, Indian Mud Run and Conquer the Gauntlet and Terrain and Savage Race. All these people, they bring their obstacles over, and this what, and these obstacles are what makes the best of. OCR World Championships, right? It's the best representation of what a World Championships should be for obstacle course racing. Now, it comes to the point you talk about, you know, can you turn a profit like that? Or is it going to be, are American races going to bring their obstacles over there? And I would imagine that to be extremely expensive. Yeah. Unless they just all outright build them over there. Yeah. You know, we so, talk so, what about, I think, so what I think is going to be cool about this, I, I imagine that they're not going to ship a lot of the obstacles, if any, you know, maybe they'll bring some of the obstacles over, but I think it'll be a completely new crop of obstacles and stuff we have not seen before as Americans, right? So you'll get all, like you said, you get all those local European, um, you know, Eastern Hemisphere race brands bringing their obstacles in, and it'll be a very different look from the last four years. That's what I'm, I'm kind of predicting. Yeah, when we talk about race series, from the European scene, just as some of the American listeners here can kind of get an idea of uh, the different race series in Europe. Let's let's talk them. We got the well Jeep series warrior, the Jeep Warrior series. When count, that's in uh, Africa. We don't really see a lot of that, but we do see the Viking series. We see Toughest Elite. Uh, there are some Spartan races over there, but Spartan historically hasn't shown up to the series. Right. Uh. What uh, what other um, what other race series can you think of? For me, Toughest Elite stands out. Oh yeah, probably absolutely. my favorite to watch across the pond. Yep. And I think you'll see. I think you'll you might see some of the smaller race companies. You know that you know we just they're just not on our radar from uh, that side of the world show up. Um, you know, like I'm sure most people have never heard of Conquer the Gauntlet when they first came to OCR World Championships, right? It's even a lot of the U.S. athletes hadn't heard of it. Um, until you know, probably a couple of years ago. You know, you would say that, Evans. But did you did you watch the European OCR World uh, OCR Championships? Uh, I did not. Oh, the, no, I did not. I, I caught like glim- I think like I caught the highlight reel. I didn't make so, the full thing. So you and me are huge fans. You obviously you're on the pro team, but you and me are huge fans of Conquer the Gauntlet. It's our it's our favorite series, and I always thought that. Uh, our obstacles that conquer the gauntlet are unique. Uh, or we're, we're very, very unique, right? But when I watched the European OCR championships, you wouldn't believe this, but they had hammer time. That's right. I remember they, seeing that. They had stairway. And I want to say, did they have a, a pegboard? Darn it, I can't remember now. They it, had, wasn't, it wasn't a pegboard, but it was a third one. Because I remember it was three different CTG-specific obstacles. And yeah, I think it, several of them were painted black and green, which I thought was the most bizarre part. Right? Like, it was, choose a different paint scheme, guys. 
Dude, it's, an, it's a great thing that OCR is so loving. Had this been any other industry, when someone else, uh, you know, comes upon someone else's uh, copies, someone else's IP like that, there would be litigation involved, right? This is a very litigious matter, but because OCR is so welcoming and supporting of that, there was none of, you know, there's obviously none of that. Uh, matter of fact, I think some people would say, I'm sure David Mainprize would believe that uh, flat, uh, what was the, what's the saying? Um, copying is the best version of flattery. Yeah, uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. Yes, yeah, that's same it, thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. No, blew my mind, especially Hammer Time. Like, so there must, maybe there's some other races that use that style over there. But uh, I was blown away to see that, man. So, so who knows? They might actually know all about our races over here. Yeah. Or at least, at least we're closing big enough waves that they're looking at the obstacles and like, yeah, hey, that's a good idea. You know, and also Toughest Elite, they use a penalty lane. Well, I'm sorry. Well, they have penalty lanes, but they also have, like, usually three different lanes. Uh, they'll have, a, like, an easy and a medium and a hard, or I want to say, like, a medium and a hard lane. And, like, say if it's a medium or an easier, it's a little longer than the hard lane. So athletes have to approach their race in a completely different manner than you would here in America when, hey, we either have burpee penalties or we have a mandatory obstacle completion with a band or belt being taken, right? So I wonder if that will actually come into play and if they'll have different lanes. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I think with it being them already establishing the bands, I I just don't see I don't see that happening. I think it'll be mandatory obstacle completion. I know for like one of the toughest examples I've seen, uh, for those of you who are, who are not familiar with their race series, is like, you know, the easy lane will be you know, a set of monkey bars that are thin, and then you have to do a low crawl and go over a wall, right? The midi- the medium lane will be, you know, a set of monkey bars maybe that are a little bit spaced further apart or maybe a little bit thicker, and then just the low crawl. Um, and then the fast track lane will be essentially you have to lache from bar to bar, so the bars are spread out real far, and there's no low crawl, there's no wall. So that's how, you know, if, if you're good at the obstacles, you can kind of speed through. Um, I personally still like... Mandatory obstacle completion. You know, I feel like I, I feel like that's what makes obstacle course training and racing interesting. Is because you need to be able to balance that strength and you need to be able to balance that speed. Boom! Plug my own podcast and <laughs> hashtag strength. Yeah. So, so I think that's that's what I really like about it. You know, if you if you just focus on running all the time and you start losing upper body strength, you might show up to a race and. You know, you can't complete one of the obstacles, and I, 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 that's what I like about it versus, you know, if you spend all your time strength training, you'll probably be able to do all the obstacles, but then you might not be able to keep – you probably you won't be able to keep up with the, uh, the, the runners of the field. So. Yeah, you and me are a little biased too. We both come from a lifting background, and we love Conquer the Gauntlet. So we're, we're, we're a bit biased, but I'm 100% with you. Yeah. So I think, I think for the elite – you know, the pro wave, I don't see the competition changing that much, right? Because I think all the big-name pros from Europe are already coming over, or at least a lot of them, right? You know, maybe not, not all of them, definitely not all of them. But, you know, the really, really good ones, you know, Jonathan Alvin come, obviously comes over every year. Um, um, I'm drawing blanks here. But, you know, like all the, all the big names come over, right? Yeah, no, I no, think, I'm 100% with you. And then, you, you know, when you're talking about those different lanes, there's some obstacles, that they have in Europe that I feel like would be kind of a uh, 
would be a band taker for even some of the most elite athletes over here. You were mentioning the uh, the one I think they call it was it called Flying Monkey. It's the one where you lachey from bar to bar. I want to say wasn't that on the list of obstacles in the 2016 uh, OCR World Championships? I believe that was on the list, but it wasn't at the race. Could be at some point, and I believe that'd be because like, hey man, that's that's like Pegatron from Conk the Gauntlet. Like that might be a little too difficult, and that's gonna upset. Like there is not too, like not too many women that can get through Pegatron. Period. Right? There's right. about four or five that can get through Pegatron. So you imagine how many women can get through the Lashang from bar to bar. There's a lot of dudes that can't do it as well. It's uh, it's more of a scarier thing. It's something like more ninjas would practice. It's a very ninja op- style obstacle. Absolutely. So that would be fascinating to see what obstacles they will have over there that will upset the pro wave. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I do, so with the I, I, like I said, I think the pro wave will be just as competitive. I don't think we'll see much necessarily change there. I think the age group waves will change significantly, right? So I think a lot of the you know people who maybe can podium at their age group may not be coming over all the way to North America for a race. Uh, but they, you know, if it, if it's like flying over a state essentially or over a country, they'll they'll show up. So I think the age groups, I think you'll see a lot of variation in the age group, not a lot of variation in the pro compared to uh, 2017. Yeah, my two cents. And, and speaking of age groups, let's talk about how they've been breaking it up. Uh, a little different than last year's they've been breaking up. It used to be in five-year increments on, I want to say, both days. But this year, it has been uh, it has been for the short course, for the 3K, it has been increments of, say, for my age group, 30 to 39. So we're talking nine-year no, sorry, 10-year 10, 10 age groups. And then in the 15K, it would be five-year groups. So if I'm competing in my age group, when I do the 3K, I'd be competing from the 30 to the 39. And then on Sunday when I did the 15K, it was the 35 to 39 range. Now, uh, there's a guy on Instagram, OCR, OCR United, put out some statistics, and this was super fascinating. This kind of confirmed what I already believed is that my my age group went out first because we make up the majority of the athletes. And I'm super fascinated to see if that statistic changes in next year and to see if uh, if it's the same in the European scene because I want to know what it is about this point in people's life that is making up the majority of it and then how that stacks up and the results on the overall podium. Um, I would I would like to see them keep it in five year increments. Yancey Culp made it a, a, a fantastic point when commenting on what Spartan is doing this year. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to jump a whole bunch of different topics. Just stay in there with me. Uh, Spartan is doing the same thing where they're starting in a competitive age group, but they're breaking it up in uh, in five year groups in the beginning, like in the tw- in the teenage teenage years and twenties. And then in 10-year increments when it's getting to, like, I believe the, the 30, 30, 39. 30, 39 is the first 10-year. Yep. And the 40 to the 50, and he made the point, like, hey, man, there's a big difference in my body when I was 42 
than when now that I'm 45. And I, I 100% agree with him on that. And so I wish they'd keep it in five-year increments. What are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the, so the, the smaller increments are always you're going to get a better, you're going to get a more comparative athlete, right? So the, you know, a 42-year-old to a 45-year-old is going to be closer than a 46-year-old to a, you know, 49-year-old. Um, but again, I think going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, at the, at the end of the day, it's a business. So, you know, they're, if they're giving out prize money, uh, if you start cutting the age groups into five-year increments, you're going to have to probably cut the prize money in half. That's a good point. So, uh, it's, I think it depends what you want. <laughs> Do you want yeah. less, lower probability of prize money, um, but a higher payout or a higher probability of prize money and, um, lower payout? So. That's true. It seems like the most competitive pro athletes are chasing the money more and more now. That's why, uh, let's say today, they had the the Tough Mudder toughest world champ, first ever toughest. Tougher. Tougher. World. I'm sorry. I said yeah. toughest. I'm an idiot. Tougher championship, right? And uh, that was in West Virginia. I'm not sure where it was. Um, yeah, yeah, it was in it was in West Virginia with Hunter McIntyre taking first, second place going to Ryan Woods, and third place going to uh, what it wasn't Hobie. Yeah, Hobie was on. Yeah, there. it was Hobie. Hobie and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. And then I think Mark Batra is right behind him. Correct. So, yeah. but you're looking at these are guys that are Spartan Pro Team members. These are guys that are. But they're also chasing the – they're chasing where the money – they're going where the money is. There was a $10,000 payout for first prize. It's really cool to see OCR growing and starting to be more of a payout to encourage better uh, and more experienced athletes keep coming to the sport and legitimizing it. I feel like that's – I feel like I have to step forward paying athletes, especially if you want to have pro athletes. You need to pay them as such. You see yeah. how much athletes make in other sports and making more money. This needs to happen, and you know I applaud Tough Mudder for uh, doing as such and, and paying out more. I think that's really cool. Have you have you noticed that? Yeah, I mean the more payouts and then like you said more crossover. You know the I felt like when I first got into OCR in 2014, the Spartan guys and girls never you never saw them outside of a Spartan. And, you know, with their new lineup of athletes, Nicole Miracle and Rhea Coble and, um, you know, again, I'm starting to draw blanks. But No, you know. no. Hey, well, just like today, they had the – he is one of the best stair runners. He competes in that – in the uh, in the sport where they race up towers of nothing yeah, but Sean, stairs. John um, Stephen Wales, I believe is yeah. his name. Uh, you know, what a phenomenal athlete. And there he is in OCR. Keeping up with the big boys. He's right alongside Batrez and Victor Quesada and Hobie Call and Hunter McIntyre. He's right along there doing it. So talk about crossover. Yeah, man, that's what you need. And it's only going to get, unfortunately for you and me, it only gets more and more competitive and we harder time. We dream up of keeping up with Hunter McIntyre in the first place, right, much less all these other great athletes from other sports. Well, so, so that's – I think that's a sign that, – that's a – I mean, obviously – me starting to get lower placements is bad for me personally, but like I, I I always tell people when when they talk about like my long term goals in OCR, my goal is to get better every year, 
but actually drop in placement because that means the sport's growing and people are getting better. So if, if I know, like, my physical performance keeps getting better, but, you know, I just keep getting pushed lower and lower in the standings, I know that the sport's growing, and while, you know, it would be cool to be on top or, you know, winning stuff all the time, at the end of the day, I'd rather see the sport fl- flourish and it still be around in, you know, 40 years and, you know, be able to talk to people and be like, yeah, back in my day when I was doing OCR, blah, 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 versus like, hey, back when I was doing OCR and someone's like, I, I still don't know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we love – it's because we love this sport so dearly and – this is probably one of the few sports, and I haven't done anything more competitive than OCR, but that, you know, when you cross that finish line and someone is beating you, you know, you give them a hug and you say, man, you kicked my butt, dude, awesome, way to go. You've been, you trained harder than me, you know what I mean? Way to go, and you root on each other. Everyone's happy, everyone's just genuinely happy uh, for each other, and you want to see that keep going, and that goes. And, and of course, you want to see yourself do better and better, you want to keep pushing to get that podium, no matter what it takes. That's you know, hey, you want to get faster, stronger, better. It's another obstacle. You know, what I mean, it's what you're doing and it's what you're doing daily that counts. Not what you do on Instagram or Facebook or any of that stuff. It's what you're doing in the dark, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you also did. You want to talk a little bit about OCR World Championships this year? This is the first year I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately. You were up there in Ontario in uh, Blue Mountains in Canada. Can you tell us all a little bit about that, man? It looked like it was raining for the pro wave. And for those of you that may be out there like, I don't know why people want to be able to make it through. I made it through the platinum rig just fine. When it rains on the platinum rig, that's a horse of another color. Can you take us through that? Well, yeah, I think think what people need to remember is there's a difference – one, when it rains, things get exponentially more difficult. You know, all the obstacles now are wet. Your hands are sliding off. Um, and the other thing to remember is, so the pros that were I, – I sat out for the 3K, a little too short for me, but I, I sat out and watched. And when the pros are running, right, their heart rate is through the roof, right? So not only was it raining, which makes it harder to grab the obstacles, but, you know – if you're running like a five-minute mile, then the amount of time you have between obstacles is significantly shorter than someone who's running a 10-minute mile, right? Um, which means they have less recovery in their hands and less recovery in their forearms and their back is tired and their heart rate's higher um, and their blood's having trouble getting pushed to those extremities of their body. So I think people sometimes forget that how – you know that it gets exponentially harder when you start running at those faster paces. Uh, but yeah, it was – it was a messy. It was a messy race. You know, the um, top couple of guys hit the obstacles. You know, of, of course, John and Ryan, John Alvin and Ryan Atkins flew through it, and then the uh, rest of the men hit it, and it was like demolition derby, right? Like people were failing, people were falling off, people were getting stuck at things, and they had essentially it was like a platinum rig to, and then shortly after there was a rope climb, and then another platinum rig, and then Skull Valley, right? So all these upper body obstacles in a row. Uh, and that doesn't even count the last couple, you know, skyline and Indian mud run floating walls. So, yeah, there was a lot of lead changes in that, you know, for a 3K race, there was a lot of lead changes. And even when I think the third place guy crossed the line, uh, again, because of the staggered start, he wasn't actually the third place. It was someone in like a wave back. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
can't believe I usually memorize who plays first, second, and third in those races, and now I'm having a hard time uh, remembering. Oh, Karen Carlison was the That's one from Sweden. Name. I was yeah. remembering it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how ADHD works, people. If something just randomly pops up in your head, I believe she got third place in the women's that day, and that was an amazing uh, – she ended up passing uh, one of the other women. She ended up passing Nicole Miracle. She ended up passing someone else, like, at the right nah, the Nicole, last minute Nicole on won. Indian Mud Run. Nicole won, and then uh, Lindsay was second. Gotcha, so gotcha. And then Karen Carlison, uh, who's yeah. only continued to get stronger, better. She's an amazing woman. Uh, we don't hear a lot about her, but she dominates the, the women's uh, group there and toughest elite in Europe. And for those of you who are going to OCR World Championships in Europe next year, you should start getting familiar with what's going on in the European OCR uh, scene over there. You can go to YouTube and watch Toughest Elite, and you can watch their videos. Fantastic coverage and commentary. Really cool videos. They'll give you an idea who some of those women are. And you'll see women like uh, Jonathan Albin's wife is a competitive athlete as well. And she's, she's phenomenal. You see her and Karen Carlson and some of the other women go toe-to-toe, and those are spectacular uh, shows of athleticism and some extremely hard obstacles, actually. They have one that's a straight-up salmon ladder. Have you seen that, Evan? I have, yeah. That's pretty neat. Hey, so how did uh, Marco Bedard's uh, Northman race, they brought one of their obstacles to you. It looked pretty difficult. Can you take us through that obstacle because we've seen pictures and a little bit of video but maybe you can just kind of put it in uh, perspective, put it in some sort of context for us. Yeah, I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the obstacle. Um, Is it French? Yeah, it's like Le Gaffe something. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just call it Marco's obstacle. But basically it was several vertical poles. So it was like a vertical pole, but it was tilted. Um, and then you grabbed onto it and kind of had to use your momentum to, you know, pivot it at the base. So it, you know, it would swing and then stop. And then you'd have to transition to another pole that, was, again, was tilted. Um, it, and essentially, it was three of them. I think his actual obstacle at the actual race has, like, six. So this was a kind of like a, I don't say watered-down version, right? But, like, it was modified to make it to fit inside the little festival area. Was it a steel pole? Was a steel pole just a straight steel pole? There was no grip yeah. on it because I noticed there was a knob on the wooden stake that you made the transition to. I'd imagine while it's raining, that metal pole would be very difficult to hold on to. Yeah. So the, the first pole was just a, a straight metal pole. second pole was actually a wooden beam, um, and it had, like, hockey pucks on it uh, for, like, grips, but not – I think there's, like, three hockey pucks, like two for your feet so and one for your hand. Yeah. And then the last one was another metal pole, but this one had, like, a little ring at the base that you could actually step on. So I know the on the 3K – they were just metal poles and the wood and then metal pole. And then for the 15K, they actually added some grip tape to it because of the, you know, the the rain, you know, the forecast for rain was uh, was pretty high. So That's cool. At least they did that. Hey, can we call, if we can't pronounce it, can we do like we do the all their fr- French things in America and call it, just call it freedom poles? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. America. Like that Canada. <laughs> I was listening to uh, – I'm going to bring this up because I thought, I thought it was hysterical. On the – I think it was the Obstacle Order podcast, one of the guys called Canada America's Hat. And I was like <laughs> – I was laughing so hard in my car when I was listening to it. Um, That's so. pretty good. I love I love Canada. 
the deaf man. They're so great. They have such a good sense of humor. We're constantly teasing them, and they just laugh along right side of us. They got, like, the best sense of humor of all the other countries in the entire world. And then they also beat up on us. They can they can laugh at us all they want because we can make the jokes and they come and steal the podium from us. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you, Hobie Call, when we need you? <laughs> yeah, I would like to see him show up to uh, OCR World Championships maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah, yeah he took. I was amazed to see him at the uh, tougher championship today. He got he ended up taking like what four, I believe he ended up taking like fourth place, and he was. Really, uh, he looked really chill about it and very relaxed. Like he is really retired and was just kind of out there for fun. I thought for yeah. sure he'd be going all out trying to win that ten thousand dollars. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't think he's retired. He keeps saying he's retired. Yeah, nobody already, believes him. Right, right. It's essentially his last race was supposed to be World Championships, and he hasn't even made it like a month, and he's back. He's back on the course. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, nobody, nobody, nobody believed him in the first place. Like you, you yeah. said that before, Hobie. You're, you're the best, but we don't think you're retiring anytime soon. It's just not in his blood. Yeah. It'll, it'll be, it'll be cool to see how his son turns out, though. He's sitting there. He doesn't train anyone else, but he trains alongside his son. You can only imagine what kind of attention and what a phenom of an athlete his son is going to be, who's already an amazing track athlete. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm super excited to see what this this future generations coming in. You notice we learn stuff from each other as we go along. Little things like it, little things make a difference. Like something as simple as a cargo net. Oh well, it took a year or two, and we saw someone you know grab over on the other side of the cargo net and then flip over. Oh, that saves some time. Then you see Rose Wetzel use the band while holding the bucket. And that takes a bunch of pressure off your hands. Wow, now I haven't put the bucket down at a Spartan race. I can't wait. And, and then the level of speed in athletes that come in the sport are getting better and better and better. I can only imagine what it's going to be like. I, I joke with uh, Victor Quesada because he's having a baby boy the same month I am. And we're, gonna, <laughs> we're trying to see who that's going to be. A, uh, it's going to be a rivalry. Little, uh, little Evan Keller versus uh, baby Quesada. So we're going to see how great these athletes are going to be coming up and having more uh, training, OCR-specific training, right? Yeah, no, I think you – absolutely, that's absolutely correct. I mean, if you – I like to use the example of gymnastics. If you look at gymnastics videos from, like, 1960, and then you look at gymnastics video from today, or, or diving is another good one. You know, the amount of complexity and skill it requires to do the stuff that they're doing today versus – you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago is, I mean, it's on a different level. So, and I think even even though OCR is only a couple of years old, you've already seen some progression where, you know, the obstacles get a little more technical each year, you know, and not so not such a drastic change where people are having trouble keeping up, at least uh, not at this point. But, you know, I think when you start looking at them in 10-year increments, you'll start seeing huge changes. And I think, you know, Battle Frogs, Rigs were a little bit ahead of their time, but I think eventually race series will eventually start going more towards that in the future. Um, you know, I think as we have athletes who now grow up in the sport, who, you know, experience it from a, a younger age and, you know, can get a little more specialization, you'll see, you'll see the overall performance level increase. And I think you see that across with any sport. You know, you look at it where they were, you know, whether it be marathon times or Ironman times or, 
really, really anything um, from where they were 20, 30 years ago to where they are today. And there's there's always that there's always that constant improvement, you know. And it the longer the sports around, the the smaller the improvements get. But there's always there's always the general progress. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for one of the young guys to watch, watch John Penland. I believe he's. I think he's 17 years old. He may not even be 18 yet, but he's already killing it in OCR. Uh, he uh, Bracken Crocker coaches him, and he's just a phenom. Absolutely incredible. Watch out for uh, John Penland. Call him JP. But uh, you know something else that's interesting talking about the OCR scene in general, Evan, is looking towards next year, especially as someone in my position that's got that won't be able to race as much. You got to be a little choosier about your races. It's really interesting to see how the different race venues are changing their schedule a little more. You have some races, like I believe Terrain is going to not just do a race on Saturday, but now they're going to do a race on Saturday and Sunday. And then you have some other race series, like our favorite, Conquer the Gauntlet, is instead of growing a little more, they're actually pulling back to about eight races next year and not as expanding as far. So they can concentrate a little more on family. I believe one of the brothers, Stephen, is having a baby and uh, things that are more important, right, things that really matter in life. And so it's interesting to see these other series doing that. And then you you have, you know, Spartan continuing to uh, expand out certain areas. How do you uh, – how are, how are you – oh, one thing I noticed too, so far I haven't seen uh, the AT&T Stadium Sprint, who's everyone's favorite stadium series in Spartan. It's not on the schedule for next year so far. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. So it looks like there'll be quite a few changes. What's your what's your take on that? I mean, Spartan and Tough Mudder are you know the two big brands, and they're they're going all in. I think we saw that with Tough Mudder this year. You know, expanding their lineup to a, a ridiculous level. To think that like a year ago that was there was essentially there was the world's toughest mudder and Tough Mudder, and basically that was it. And now they have like an you know, eight lineup, different things. Yeah. Um, TMX is going to have its own series. Yeah, TMX can have its own series. Tougher will continue to have its own series with a championship that's announced more than a month out, which will be cooler. Um, Toughest Mudder will be back again uh, with more venues. I think they just added one as of now, but there might be more. World's Toughest will be back, obviously. They're talking um, about uh, taking World's Toughest to a different area next year. Yeah, uh, it's confirmed this is the last year in Vegas. That's what they've been saying. So um, we'll see where it goes. Rumor Mill is saying Atlanta, but I don't know how true that is. I think that's just some people's wishful thinking. So they, we'll see. they did a poll, I believe, on uh, while I was watching the live stream today. And Texas actually won. So, that be you know, <laughs> I'm all for taking all of the races to Texas so I can compete. <laughs> I, I don't think it'll be in Texas because they're doing one of the toughest in Texas already. So I doubt they're going to do, um, although they could, I mean, Las Vegas and, uh, I'm not sure where the California toughest West was, but, um, I'd be surprised if they did a toughest race plus a world's toughest in the same state. Yeah. And a new, a new that. race series actually looks kind of cool. Have you had a chance to compete in, uh, is it called battlegrounds? It's called battle. Yeah. Uh, the bet you took one in St. Louis. Uh, no, it's based out of the Gulf, I believe. Uh, I believe their main headquarters is uh, they're based out of Louisiana, and it is oh, a, um, more Conquer the Gauntlet-like, where 
I believe it's like four miles and 40 obstacles, and a lot of people have great things to say about it. Uh, it's battle. I think it's called Battle Race. I'm looking it up right now. We'll cut this I want to say it's out. Battle yeah. Race, but it's really interesting, and it's attracting a lot of the other Conquer the Gauntlet athletes. You know, people like us, man, who like a lot more upper body, uh, more grip intensive. So that will be, and it looks like it's very well put on, put together obstacles. Everyone has lots of great things to say about it. I always, when I look forward and try to schedule my, my, my schedule for the next year, I always try to pick one new race brand. I always want to experience a new race every single year. For me, this year, it was Bonefrog. Uh, you know, they came to Austin, and they did it at the Speedway there. And that was super cool, man. That was really nice. And uh, that was when Norm Coach left uh, left Spartan and went on to be a race director for uh, Bonefrog. And that was a cool experience. But I looked at their schedule for this year, and we were just talking about the, the drastic changes and pulling back. It doesn't look like they have as many races, and they're not bringing it back to Texas. So that won't be an option for some. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, at the end of the day, it is a business. So... Yeah, I know race companies try to go to new locations sometimes, and a lot of times you have to accept a loss on that first uh, first visit to a location, right? Because you're still getting your feet and your hands into that market. So, um, oh, not the mention. I, I was in that. It's probably expensive. I was in that bone front. Probably expensive yeah. to use that 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 raceway. It's an F1 raceway. It's probably you know they probably spent a lot of money on that, hard to turn a profit in that, as opposed to some backcountry land, right? Right. That, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, you know, the sport changes a little bit every year. So we'll, um, you know, I think you take it in stride. And I really like what you said about trying a new ser- a new series out at least once a year. I think that that'll help keep you well-rounded and really expose you to, you know, whatever, whatever, what else is going on in the sport. I think if you only stick with one race brand, whether that be Spartan or Tough Mudder or, you know, Savage or whatever, you, you get, you know, you, you have this view of obstacle course racing that's very narrow. You don't you don't see you know the different skills it takes to do well, and you don't you know you're not as well rounded. And then you know I think some some of those people who only stuck to one race brand, you know, I definitely showed up to world championships and found out the hard way that like oh you know this is not you know my my one race brand doesn't transfer completely well to you know the championship event. There's more to the world than Warrior Dash, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nothing against Warrior Dash. They're 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 fantastic too. But so, can we leave people with some guidelines? What are kind of your guidelines for when you're structuring your race uh, for the next year? What are kind of some things you do? Like for me, it's saying, hey, you know, I always try to uh, I try to focus on my strengths. One, I try a different race brand every year, uh, and I also try to pick a championship. And I try to pick one that I can I can travel to, and I will also try to I mean you know outside of my state, and I also try to do something I've never done before, not just a different race brand, but say for me this year you and me teamed up with uh, with Ryan and Chris and we did the 24 hour team relay for terrain in Phoenix. That was my first ever 24 hour race. That was really cool. That was something new. Um, Things like that you kind of want to aim for. Those are that's generally how I structure my race series uh, when I'm doing my scheduling. How about yourself? I think that, I think that's pretty good. Some pretty good input there for anyone who's looking to mimic some of that. So for me personally, 
I do one really stupid endurance thing every year, and I've done like this year I did every 24-hour race uh, in the world. Spartan Iceland is still a question mark, so I may not do that. But over a 365-day span, I did every 24-hour race in the world. Um, so that I usually have one major goal. Uh, last year it was OCR America, so the seven-day event. Um, so I, I put that at first. Uh, second, I usually have some other ultra-distance obstacle course race uh, priority in there. So uh, typically it's World's Toughest Mudder. Um, and now I have, like, Toughest Mudder, so I have to do – I have to – my schedule will have one endur- ridiculous endurance thing, which I'm keeping secret for now because I haven't worked out all the details. It'll have World's Toughest Mudder on there. It'll have a bunch of Toughest Mudders. It'll have every Conquer the Gauntlet I can go to, and then I basically kind of look at to see what's in driving range and hit up a, you know, hit up a, c- a couple different brands there. So you're you're going to be doing OCR World Championships 24 hour enduro in Australia next year, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm I'm supposed to work during that time. I have not asked for off. I'm waiting to see where World's Toughest goes to yeah. before I start requesting. I want to know the full schedule of 2018 before I start requesting time off, so I know I can prioritize. So um, I'll be at one of them, maybe both. We'll see. Makes sense. Very nice. So with that, let's wrap it up. Uh, I saw you posted on Facebook a bunch of questions, and we successfully got to zero of them. So that's good. I'm glad glad you asked for input there. Well, I I, guess I must have misunderstood it, and I, I'm sorry. I must have miswrote it. Because most of the questions end up being questions for me, personally. I'm like, hey, man, I'm just a schmuck. You guys don't want to hear about me. Let me tell you more about OCR uh, world, you know. <laughs> There's some so good also, questions here, though. I'm also getting from Facebook that it's your birthday, so happy birthday. Oh, thanks, man. Th- thank you, everyone, for thinking of me. Very, very nice. <laughs> thank you for keeping me awesome. So, I'm blessed to have such wonderful people in my life uh, rooting me on and helping me to continue to grow. You want to surround yourself with like-minded people that are always trying to better themselves, and you will only grow from that. And I'm blessed to have those kind of people surrounded, surrounding me. Well, I hope this was a good birthday present. So you are now the, besides Brenna, the co-host, you are now the officially the most reoccurring guest on the show. I think this is three for you, right? Uh, yeah. Is, yeah, I believe it's three. Is, you don't hear Brenda on many. You don't hear Brenda on many uh, many episodes anymore. I might be right alongside her. We <laughs> might be tied. Shots fired, Brenna. Bang bang. <laughs> <laughs> so with uh, I believe this is episode thirty one. So you're on about ten percent of the episodes. So that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good percentage. So well, I love talking so. to you, man. You and me just have wonderful banter about. It. I love your perspective on OCR. You're as passionate about the sport as I am, and it's, just, it's always great talking to you, man. Yeah, so before we take off, any final shout-outs you want to give? Uh, check us, check me out on the Link Endurance Podcast. Me and the co-host, Mo, uh, Coach Mo, it's always fantastic. Um, shout-out to Rollflex, fantastic uh, little device to help you roll. Maybe some of you are tired of trying to roll your muscles on a on a PVC pipe or something like that that's not getting it, check out Rollflex, R-O-L-F-L-E-X. Fantastic little device, and it's portable. You can take it anywhere. Matt Campione originally turned me on to it, and that's been fantastic for me. And uh, Another man. Keep, uh, oh, another shout-out to your sponsor there, Merrill. 
uh, I think that's fantastic. They're really going full bore on supporting OCR. The only other shoe I've seen done that is Icebug. I love them as well, too, but great on Merrill for doubling up on OCR and supporting the sport. Yeah, the what I really like about Merrill, so when I first go look for a new pair of OCR shoes, I look to see if it has an insole. And if it has an insole, like it immediately, it immediately almost, it's almost no go criteria for me because I don't want something like extra cushiony in there that's just going to start weighing more as it gets wet. So that's why I like Icebug because it, you know, there was no insole. Uh, I used to have a pair of Under Armour shoes that I would wear for racing. Again, there was no insole in those, and Merrell's lineup has no insoles across the board. So um, I think I just, something. I think I just did to you what I do to Mo, where we're going to close the show. And I accidentally bring up another big topic, and we can end up <laughs> talking about it again. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to, uh, again, your your podcast. If you're not subscribed to that, make sure you head over and subscribe to Link Endurance. I listen to it every week. So um, definitely good good information coming out of there. And then finally, uh, we're in the final lead-up to World's Toughest Mudder, so make sure you check in the leaderboard of the team event, and hopefully you'll see Team Merrill, me and Wesley Kerr up there, um, hopefully up front, uh, or, uh, yeah, hopefully in first. <laughs> That's the plan. The plan is to win. Um, as always, there's good competition, and it's a long race, so you never know what can happen. But, um, yeah, we're going to go all in, and we're going to, you know, if we don't win, whoever does win, we're going to make them suffer. So that's the plan. Awesome, man. Thanks, Evan. Always good, always good uh, hearing from you, brother. You're an amazing example of a, a father, an athlete, a husband, uh, a soldier. Amazing guy, man. Thank you for All the right. thank you for the name, Evan. I think it's a, yeah, I think no, it's a fantastic no name. All right, I'll uh, I'll catch you later, Miles. Thanks again for coming on the show. Have a good night, brother.